Welcome into the Natural Hattrick Podcast, much like the NHL celebrated 100 years this past season. Symmetry. We are now celebrating episode number 100 alongside Craig Morgan, Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Craig, what did you bring us for this momentous occasion? Uh, yeah, Craig, what did you bring us? Yeah. I made you buy coffee today. Thanks, I appreciate that. What a, what a nice way. Hey, but you know what, though? They got the order right. They did get the order right, which is... That's a Lipinski it's first. Dicey with you, yeah. You, you don't know, actually, the story. They, they made yours. They were, like, fine. They made fun of Jamie's order, which really wasn't that bad of an order. And then the girl was nice enough. She's like, hey, you should try vanilla in yours. I'll just give it to you for no extra cost. Here's another drink. So I got, like, a drink and a half. So you got a chai vanilla latte? Well, then she put a little vanilla in this, yeah. Okay. Like, I had a side drink, too. So. But, but let's talk oh, about... You got two drinks? Wait. No, no, no. It was just like a little like sampler, and then she put some in this. Really two drinks. Yeah, Whatever. <laughs> but let's talk about them making fun of my order. Okay, or, let's do it. Okay. So wh- what did I order, Luke? Do you remember? Uh, absolutely not. Wait, do you even have a microphone? Are you I wearing do. one? No. How do, you think I'm, how do you think you hear me right now? Well, I'm in the don't same room the f- as you. Don't break without, the fourth wall, Luke. Without headphones on. So this is how people hear each other. <laughs> Um, okay. I mean, fair. I mean, fair. Good point. You got, I, you got me on that one. I don't know what your order was. I just know that it's it, vanilla iced latte. Yes, it vanilla, same thing equal, it's vanilla iced latte. I, I made one special request. Yes. Equal instead of sugar. Yes. I don't want, that's it's not that right. hard. You did. You did request that. Sometimes, I think I commented on that too. You did by a text message. It's Starbucks. Have you heard the the languages that are spoken to acquire coffee well, at just, the register? And the equals what threw them off. Craig and I get such basic drinks that yours really stood out, I guess, is the way to put it. They were confused because they were like, well, the vanilla is the sugar. Why does he want equal? And I was well, like, well, that's Because well, the vanilla is not the sugar. They usually put extra sugar like, in there. That's just the kind of guy he is. And they were like, hey, look at this guy's drink. And I was like, don't worry, it's not mine. Mine's the easy one. I'm just going to let the, the idea of a chai latte being a basic drink slide right Yeah, we'll I have to say. Whatever, I got okay. a free drink. So, you know what? I expect more, I, I, I expect more out of Starbucks. Huh? I expect that from Dunkin'. They don't understand how to make ordering, but from Starbucks, I expect better. Good thing we're not previewing the Bruins today, because that could get ugly for Jamie. Well, you might have something to say about the Flyers, though. So we are talking about the, uh, well, the San Jose Sharks. We'll preview with Kevin Kurtz later on in the show today. It's episode 100. We're going to get into some other news and notes around the league. Later on down the line, we will preview the Flyers and talk to Michael Russo later this week. And then even on into next week, we're going to have... Mark Antoine Godin on to talk about the Canadians. Nice. You got your French on. And uh, Josh Yowie to talk about the Penguins. We'll also preview the Canucks because I'm not really sure anybody else wants to talk about the Canucks right now, so we'll cover that one. But let's focus on right now, and let's start with the Coyotes news that really just kind of ruined my oh, day last more week. More Coyotes news this summer? Yeah. There just hasn't been enough of it. Jacob Chikrin. Look, I'm going to go on a rant here for a second. It's going to be like 20 seconds. Floor is yours. I understand that there's the <laughs> Craig is counting on his fingers next to me. Hopefully Three, you're counting by 20 feet. seconds and not just working on your counting. You're already at seven. Basically, the Coyotes, I think, can be an exciting team this year. That's not me saying they're going to win the cup. I understand that, that you know nationally there are people that can – there's plenty of things that people find fault in the Coyotes. That's fine. They're going to be an exciting team, but the thing is Jacob Chikrin is one of the main reasons why they can be an exciting team, and now we don't know when he's playing. No, we don't. And uh, Look, if you've been through a few of these injuries, if you've heard the terminology of the way a team talks about it when they say out indefinitely, it doesn't sound short-term. No. Now, there are two months until training camp, so you've got that, that period of time, but... And I, again, the Coyotes have been mum on this. I, I've heard nothing about the nature of this injury. But if this is a ligament, you're talking long-term. 
and who knows, you know, who, who knows how long the recovery period takes after that, who knows what he looks like when he comes back. At this point, it's, it's possible at least that this could impact Jacob Chikrin's entire season, which obviously impacts the Coyotes' blue line. And they, they have some issues there already, as we've discussed on previous podcasts. So just terrible luck for this team going into the season. He, he had such a promising rookie season. He made the team out of camp when nobody expected. I remember I was the one actually delivered the news to him that he made the team. He didn't even know at the time, which is really weird. I remember that. I was walking down the hallway with him, and, and I was like, oh, you don't know? Okay, I'm sorry. You're like the opposite of the guy from Hard Knocks that yeah, tells people yeah. they've been cut. good news. But he was so excited about it, so genuinely excited. But he did he did everything that they asked of him in that camp and, and clearly gave a whole lot of reason for optimism with his play last season, his ability to jump up into the play, his vision. So now we, uh, we wait and see how severe the setback is. Yeah, and not only is when does he get back on the ice, but when does he get back to 100%? And right. those, those are two different timelines, and the Coyotes are going to re- need to rely on him if they hope to make any sort of noise later in the season. I, I don't necessarily think they're a playoff team quite yet, but they at least could be interesting, exciting, and we can at least pretend like they're in the playoff picture maybe late in the year with a healthy Jacob Chitrin. I don't know if, if he misses significant time. I don't know if the rest of that blue line is going to be strong enough, especially in the back half of that, to uh, account for it. Yeah, do you, do you even look at making a move then if you find out? As, as, as the Coyotes have said, they're not going to update this again until we get to training camp. So if you get to camp and realize, yeah, he's out another four, five months, do you have to make a move at that point? Or do you simply go with what you have in the system and, and gut it out? Well, if, if he were... If he were to be out that long, I think they would probably do something because there are there are question marks on this team, and and you know Chikrin's only in his second year, and he's only he's only nineteen. Is he even nineteen? He's right around nine. He's either nine. He's somewhere in that range. I mean, he's he was ahead of schedule. He's still extremely young, so I'm not worried about him long term. And it's not like this puts him suddenly behind schedule. It's just really, it's just it's a blow for at least the start of this season and. When you look at that defense now with Nicholas Jalmerson and I'm assuming a full strength Oliver Ekman Larson, you know you have pieces that could make this an intriguing defense. Maybe Alex Goligoski plays better this year from the start. Maybe Jacob Chikrin was to take another step. And then if that's the case, you've got four really good defensemen. But at least to start the year now, we're we're going to be down one of those. Yeah, and he is 19. He turned 19 at the end of March. But they were even talking about playing. Golagoski on the right side, sliding him over, maybe having Chikrin step up into that second pairing. And while he's young, you're really excited about his upside and what he can do. That would have been an interesting blue line, but now, obviously, they're not going to... It really doesn't sound like they're going to have him for the start of the season. And no point in rushing him, obviously. No, that goes without not. saying, I would think, but sometimes, sometimes the things you would think go without saying, you still have to say, because, again, he's way ahead of schedule. He wasn't even supposed to make the team last year. And as Craig just pointed out, he turned 19 like four and a half months ago. So big picture, they're fine, but they could have, uh, they could certainly use him this year. And obviously, I mean, you, we've all talked to Jacob Chikrin. He's the sort of guy that is constantly working out when he's not playing hockey and playing hockey when he's not working out. So I can't imagine how he's taking. Right. He is a, he is a physical specimen. When you see this guy, you're like, that, that guy's a pro athlete. No doubt about it. Some of the other notes from around the NHL, Don Maloney getting promoted. Back, they're putting the band back together in yeah. Calgary. Yes. Just in reverse order. Brad, Brad's the uh, lead singer now, I guess, and, and Don is uh, playing guitar or something. But you sort of saw this coming with all his experience, his relationship with Brad Trilliving. He had a, a, 
an idea that when he became a pro scout there, he might be working his way back in. Don always wanted to get back in. He's like, he'd like to be a manager again in this league. He enjoys it. So this is a possible way for that to happen. But obviously, again, these, these guys have a relationship. They worked together for a long time in Arizona. Don brought Brad in. So sort of returning the favor now. How many GMs do they have in Calgary? Yes. Yeah. Right? Brian Burke? Yep. Bradtree Living? B, as Craig calls him. I and really and now Don Malone. Well, you, you did once. Are we ever going to get him on now? You know, you, you so demand. Right, he does owe us. He does. Yeah, he does. I should bring that up. I feel like we we got him that contract extension, right? And, and the thought was, you know, once he gets it, he'll come on. It's not the amazing work he did assembling I'll that, that team. Yeah, I'll <laughs> that <to> <laughs> definitely come right on at that point. Then uh, other notes around the league, and this is more of a question that Craig texted all of us or emailed us. I don't know how you sent this to us subliminally. What are the Maple Leafs going to do about? Restricted free agent Connor Brown, and my first thought is maybe they shouldn't have given Patrick Marlowe nineteen million dollars. But hey, that's just me. Yeah, that's just crazy talk. Yeah, I I have no idea what they're going no, to do. I I don't have a sense that they have a, a great idea of this is the oh we're just waiting for one thing to happen so we can make this deal happen. I don't know what they're going to do. Well, but you can get to the season right. You can sign them on the day before the season when you get that you know the the long term injury relief on guys like Lupul and, and Horton. So that's that's what they can do. Yeah. Is he going to be that patient? Does he want to go that long? You know, reports are that he does, but that can change. Do they do they look to make a trade yeah. to free up some room? I'm I'm curious how this plays out. But that's that's the guy you want as a, a part of your core moving forward, isn't it? Well yeah. A lot of other teams would like to have that right wing. I, I can think of one in particular that needs a young right wing. The, the arena's what, about eight miles from where we're broadcasting right now? Uh, he kind of gets lost in the shuffle, Brown does, just because the Maple Leafs had an absurd number of really good rookies last year. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's just one team that would be interested in him. So there's a lot of RFAs that yeah. are still unsigned right I now. I want to hear you read their names because I, I can never pronounce one of them, so I'm just going to leave it up oh, to you. Oh, great. I don't even know which one it is. All right, I'm going to go through, you, you, through some you, of them. We'll find out. one on that list. Oh, uh, Andreas Athanasio? Yes. That's oh, that was just a fun name to pronounce once you figure it out. Marcus Foligno, Sam Sam Bennett, did you struggle with that one? No. No? I was, okay. I was good with that one. Bo Horvat, Zemgis Gergensens, David Pasternak, that one, I, they need to get that one done. Uh, Nikita Zadorov, as Craig noted, well, maybe he's not actually so good. Uh, Alex Wenberg, Josh Anderson, Leon Dreisaitl, Anthony Duclair, and Damon Severson. Yeah, that's a long list of RFAs. It's like an all-star some good team. names, too. And I, you know, having compared to past years, I, don't, I, I know there are always a few guys unsigned, but a flat cap certainly doesn't help matters when you're dealing with free agents and you, you know you, you're trying to make moves to improve your team in the offseason anyway but I gotta believe that that's a, a major factor in so many big names and when the heck is Leon Dreisaitl gonna sign by the way I'm not even hearing anything about it anymore it's like they're just sort of ah oh, yeah it'll get done well rookie camp for the Coyotes opens a month from today I would assume the Oilers rookie camp doesn't open like three months after that I'm <laughs> probably a week or a couple days really one way or the other that's a lot of high-end RFAs because David Pasternak, and we talked about this with Kevin Paul DuPont of the Boston Globe uh, last week, Like I was running some of the numbers on him just in terms of what some comparables might be, and the best one's probably Nikita Kucherov, who, if you recall, didn't sign until October last year, but he's a winger. He had 66 points the year before, and he came in right around $5 million, and that's where I would assume Pasternak eventually mm-hmm. ends up, but as Kevin was saying last week, you know, Pasternak and his camp are asking probably for closer to $6 million, and the Bruins are looking maybe more four, four and a half. They're not getting them for fours. So they can give up on that. Yeah. Uh, 
if it's, I don't understand why people can't just come in and say, okay, well, you want four, you want six. We all know it's going to be five. How about we get you ready before training camp? Why would you screw around with a 70-point producer? You know, if you were in the room, things would go so much more smoothly. Look how this podcast goes. Yeah. yeah. It goes off without a hitch every week. It does. Mike Except Fisher. you blowing up microphones. Well, that's that, true. That's, which will probably be edited out of this show. You being Jamie. People don't know which you you're talking about, and you're really salting my game here. Okay. I, yes, I was talking about Jamie. Mike Fisher, retiring. Still a good life. Yeah, he's, still yeah, he's doing all right. Set up pretty well. Did you see your Carrie Underwood's tweet? No. No, I did I not. I want my wife to say things like that about me. Well, what was it? It was, it was really long. Oh, okay. Oh. One of those, well, those like the you, pic- pictures of the notes. Right, right. The, you, have yeah. To, yeah, you have to do a screenshot because it was so long. Basically saying what a great guy is, great husband, great father, how much he enjoyed watching him play, but how excited she is to have him at home now. And yeah, wow, lots of things you yeah, like to hear. He's got from set up pretty well, especially when she's and, Carrie Underwood. And, and, and juxtapose yes, that, especially when she's Carrie Underwood. To juxtapose that with uh, Jay Cutler's wife telling him, "Nah, I'm sick of you. Go play for the Dolphins," <laughs> which is basically what he said today. Well, you know, <laughs> Jay Cutler versus Mike Fisher. The tweet of the day yesterday was, even Jay Cutler's retirement plans get intercepted. Ooh. Wow. Nope. Uh, Although I did enjoy him saying he's a quarterback, so he doesn't need to be in that good of cardiovascular shape. <laughs> I'm sure his coaches loved hearing I'm that. sure Dolphins fans loved hearing that. Yeah. And I know Bears fans loved hearing that because they love everything right now. I did see Roberto Luongo's tweet. That was pretty fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Bartman getting a World Series ring from the Cubs. And basically his tweet was, wow, even Bartman gets a ring before I do. I'm going to miss Roberto Luongo when he retires, but... I hope he doesn't retire from Twitter. Yeah, he can stay on Twitter. He's, he's got to end up on TV in his post-playing oh, days, doesn't he? That would be he has to. Somebody has to get him in as a color analyst. He... Real color. He has to be, yeah. in terms of actual professional athletes that you know, were, were playing the game at the highest level when social media really took off, he's got to be one of the very best. Right, I mean, I'm sure there are others I'm forgetting. I'm not saying he's the only one that's that's funny on Twitter, but he rarely puts out a tweet that isn't good. Like his his success rate is pretty much right around ninety percent, and they're usually not just like, oh, that made me chuckle. They're usually like hilarious. So that's his uh, his second career. All right, Matt Duchesne was apparently burned out by January. You know, of which year? Oh, really? <laughs> Two thousand twelve. Is, is that the kind of thing you say? It may have been true, but is that the kind of thing you say everybody in Col- that season? Everybody in Colorado's talking too much. Just everybody's talking too much, and nothing is happening. Their success rate is not nearly as high Why as Why would you trade Walters. for Matt Duchesne right now? What on earth could you buy? If, if they're truly intent on getting anywhere close to true value for him, how could you possibly justify making a trade for him right now? It's how people negotiate in the bizarro world. Like, they're just sitting there telling you how you really don't want him. He's burned out. He's not going to lead your locker room. I wouldn't trade for him, but you should trade for him. And we're going to need a king's ransom for you to get him. Yeah, pretty much. It's like pretty much how that's gone this summer. (laughs) Somebody needs to put up, like, an eBay ad for Matt Duchesne and just, like, horrible condition, uh, does not work, broken, and uh, we want $800,000 for him or something. The things he says, too. No one knows how tough that situation was last year. Wow, I mean... Like everybody else in the team. Yeah, no one's been stuck on a team before they didn't want to be on. That never I happens know in that sports. It was tough for you. <laughs> and you may have been tough on everyone else from what we're hearing. Ooh. Turning the tables there. Yeah. 
pro probably uh, stepping a little too far out of bounds on that one, but but seriously, when your when your GM is advertising that he's he's a bit of an attitude problem, uh, it's a great situation in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, it's I can't wait. Oh to yeah, they're the worst team in the league too. Like historically bad. The worst team in like the last ten years. What, wasn't it the worst point total since the Thrashers? The expansion Thrashers? Yeah, I think it might have been. And again, they have way too much raw talent on that team to be that bad. It's I mean, that just—I mean, some of those bad teams so were very, very talent poor. Yeah. That, the, the top end of Colorado's roster has a lot of talent. They just can't ever put it together. That's the sort of team that has enough talent where if before last season you had said, hey, this team's going to sneak in as like the second wild card or they're going to finish with the worst record since Atlanta when they were an expansion team, you'd be like, all right, I, all right, I guess they make it in as a wild card. Nathan McKinnon just goes off or something. Matthew Shane isn't burned out two months into the season and they just go for it. <laughs> but as it turns out, it was the opposite. Right, which is why their coach has to be on the hot seat, right? Even though he's only been on the job one year. This is Colorado we're talking about. They had 48 points last year. This feels like a shameless segue into a shameless awesome. plug for Craig's oh, shameless oh, article. Do that? Go ahead, sure. Craig, which, uh, which coaches would you say are on the hot seat around the NHL? And if you would be so kind to the listeners, would you maybe write something for uh, fan rag hockey? In fact, I already have. Oh. If you look at Craig's list from last Sunday, you'll see a list of seven coaches and then a couple others to watch who could be on the hot seat. What did you guys think of this list? Did you have? In fact, you guys contributed to this list, so I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, I believe like I got a text message while I was at Whole Foods, and I was trying to think of coaches that could be on the hot seat. That's what happens. Is Craig, a lot of times, just wants to see if, if he's right. So he texts me and, and Luke, and Luke just, you know, just as a courtesy, he asks Luke as well what his opinion is. I wasn't at Whole Foods. Yeah. So my opinion doesn't count. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think it's pretty spot on. I think you, you, there are a very clear list of maybe five, six, seven names that, hey, if so, they could easily be fired midseason. And there's a couple that are in the... They maybe deserve to be if they fall out, but does, does the front office like them a little bit more? Is it too early? I mean, if they're on a bad team, but is it too early in the process to fire them? But it's tough because in the NHL, coaches get fired midseason all the time because it's one of the rare sports where that actually leads to occasionally a turnaround. It is weird. It's the do only we, sport. Yeah. Do we all agree that Paul Maurice is number one on that list? Yes. Yeah, that team's, again, that team that's way too talented to, to miss the playoffs as much as they do. And they well, and, and again, I don't know if they solved their goaltending issue. We just talked about it. They probably this. didn't, but probably not. But man, defend better too. I, I don't there has to be a greater commitment there. They gave up the fourth most goals in the league last year. It wasn't all goaltending. No. And they, again, they have, still have too much talent on their blue line to be that bad there too. I mean, that's the, I think that's the part where I look at coaches. It's expected level of production relative to talent and actual production. I think that is when you look at the gap and say this is when it starts to be on coaching. And sometimes they don't get that opportunity, but sometimes you can kind of see it coming for a while, and Winnipeg is definitely one of them. Just put this out there, too. If you search for Craigslist, Craig Morgan, your story comes up first, and then second is a new Craigslist scam is out there. So I don't know if they're related or what, but uh, okay. Uh, some of the other names on, on your list, do you want us to give them all away, or should we just... There's, there's two in particular I feel like we need to talk about. Okay. Okay? So... Number six and seven on the list. I figured those would be the two you'd want to talk about because there's, those are debatable. Number, well, they both could win the Stanley Cup this yes. year. Yes. <laughs> so, well, uh, I, I don't think number seven can, but number six could. So, well, number seven has won three Stanley Cups. Yes, he so has. he has, I think number six would trade his he career number seven. He walked out of a hotel room when, yeah, at the draft when the Blackhawks. We're, we're talking about Joel Quinn. I was going to say, say, we're say, never going to say the how, names. How coy are we going to be? <laughs> Just number seven. Go ahead. Well, Joel Quenville, you have his number seven. Number six, you have his John Cooper. I'll let you 
take us in whichever direction you want here. Well, just my, my feeling on Cooper is simple. That team's too good to miss the playoffs. You should not have missed the playoffs last year. And they were, they were hurt by injuries, obviously. You know, having Steven Stamkos back may be enough. If he can stay healthy this season, he's had some rough luck. But that team can't miss the playoffs. That, that team should be a cup contender. So the only way I see John Cooper possibly being on the hot seat is if this team struggles again. If they miss the playoffs a second straight season with that roster, that's crazy. Well, it also depending on if, if they have a very, very, very poor start, I would not be shocked if they make that move midseason because that's, again, that's a team where if you can turn things around, around Christmas, around January, you might be able to get into the playoffs and have enough talent to make a lot of noise. And for Quinville, I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast a lot, that might just come down to who wins the battle between GM and coach midseason. Yeah. But you know what? If everybody's winning, if they, if they just get off to such a great start, which, again, I don't think any of us are super confident that the Blackhawks are going to be just going to run roughshod over the league given what their blue line looks like. If they are winning constantly, maybe it just patches things up for at least a short term. But Can, can you imagine Quenville getting fired in season? I have a really hard time imagining that. No. I don't think the Blackhawks will be bad enough to, for him to get fired in season, but if they bow out in the first round again next year, I could see him being an off-season casualty yeah, if, I, if it's him instead of Bowman. I, I know sometimes in sports, sports can be ruthless, but I think for both those, both GM and coach, they've done enough for you to at least earn the right to get fired in the off-season. I feel like if Joel Quenville became available, there'd be about nine other coaches instantly on the hot seat. Because at that point, you look around and you're like, all right, our coach is okay, but he's not Joel Quenville. Right. Let me ask you this. if Because we had Tracy Myers on now a couple episodes ago, and she said that this might, might be the somewhat rare circumstance where if it comes down to, hey, the GM or the coach has to go, it might be the GM in this case, which if I was running the Blackhawks and one had to go, it wouldn't be the coach that won me three Stanley Cups. If Quenville were to go, how much of that would be him just throwing up his arms and, and saying, I'm fed up and I'm out. I can't imagine him doing that this early. This is not a, a Dave Tippett situation where he's been through, you know, own, multiple ownership groups, bad rosters, bad personnel decisions, no arena, you know, all the stuff that he went through where he, you know, part of, a big part of Dave Tippett walking away was just, you know, I'm done, I'm tired, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't imagine Joel Quenville getting to that point this soon with this roster, with the success that he's had. I, I can't see him walking away from this. I would be really surprised. Yeah, I, I, again, I kind of get that same feel. Because the team has enough talent, because, you know, and how much of it is, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm doing the right things. I'm doing the best I can. I'm not going to be the one that, that bows out first in, in that equation. But also you got to wonder, even if they do get a new GM, what's the leash there? Does the ownership say, hey, you have to stick with Q no matter what? Or does the GM say, well, at some point I want my guy as the coach? I mean, that, we see that happen in sports all the time where good coaches get let go because new GM comes in and says, you know what, if, I, if I, my job's going to be on the line, I'm going to live and die with somebody that I pick and not somebody that's already been here. And that GM's still inheriting the wreckage that, you know, the bad contracts that stand yeah. Bowman signed that have put the Blackhawks in the situation they're in right now. Just to be clear, too, on Cooper, seeing that name on there. Six months ago, I would have said you're crazy, but there was talk last year that he might be on the hot seat, and he's what he went. He got within a goal of going to the Stanley Cup two seasons ago. He was in the Stanley Cup the season before that, and as you mentioned, a ton of injuries last year. So to be clear on him, you're saying if they were to completely miss the playoffs again, then yeah, okay, that, that's just unacceptable for that roster two years in a row. Unless, of course, you know, you lose four key guys, and then you can you can excuse it. I had a couple other names that I probably would have had on this list. Elaine Vigneault just signed a 
two-year extension through 2020, so I, I can't see the Rangers cutting bait with him. They're, they're actually, they're clearly happy with him. But then one of the other names, Travis Green, who just got hired in Vancouver, my only comment was, set up for failure. <laughs> Welcome to Vancouver, Travis. Here's your hot seat that you'll be coaching from. Yes. He hasn't coached a game yet, and he's on the potential hot seat. It's a bad situation up there. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those situations where you take it because you want to be an NHL head coach, and... You hope exactly. that you can pull off a miracle. I mean, Vancouver doesn't have like prospects in the pipeline really coming up. Not not great ones. And so you're hoping that you can survive long enough where you don't damage your chance at a future job, right? Well, yeah, I think that's, that's your big hope. It's like taking the job as the Browns head coach. Yes, you want to be a head coach in the, in the league. You want to be. That's the that's what you're reaching for. But a lot of times they don't come back once those coaches inevitably get fired. Right. And a lot of times, but. I get saying um, you can't just sit there and just hope you'll get another opportunity someday. Real quick before we get to Kevin Kurtz, two uh, notes on the Vegas Golden Knights. One, Marc-Andre Fleury's mask is might be the best in the league. That's a pretty solid-looking mask. If you haven't seen it, I believe the Knights themselves tweeted it out a couple days ago, mm-hmm. so that's, that's a pretty solid one. He's, uh, he's embraced the Vegas skyline scenery i guess with his uh with his helmet it's it's skyline i hesitate to call vegas a skyline, a skyline the facade of a skyline you mean but i hesitate to say <laughs> vegas scenery because then it right. sounds like he can't wear his helmet in public so <laughs> his helmet looks like the pg-13 version of vegas how's that okay. is that fair now defense they still have because they signed uh, nate schmidt who was also on the list of rfas until a couple days ago so they now have 11 NHL defenseman under contract plus Eric Brandstrom, who they just drafted. So What's he's the problem. <laughs> well, let's see what you can you can dress eighteen skaters. So I guess just go six forward, twelve D. Yeah, just go out there just to, just do a five uh, a five defenseman lineup yeah. in front of Marc Andre Fleury and hope hope for the best. Groundbreaking approach just in Vegas. Shots from the blue Play line. Three defensemen at all times. Yeah, I was gonna say, just just flip it so you have a line of defensemen yeah. and just some forward pairs. <laughs> play yeah, they're gonna they're gonna play the. Course. We call it our smiley face formation. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna play the three zone trap. <laughs> Let's play the most exciting style of hockey possible for <laughs> Vegas of all cities. Nothing but defense all the time. <laughs> Always we, bet the under. Are they gonna? Are they gonna trade some of the? They got they have five guys that are UFAs <laughs> next <laughs> summer and three more that are RFAs. You can't go into the season like this, no. though. So you can't be thinking trade deadline. You got you got to move some of these guys. Yeah, you got you got to be thinking they're just going to be scouring the uh, the injury reports from every team during the preseason and going, oh well, here we go. Like the Coyotes. Yeah. Yeah, they're basically all left defensemen, though. So yeah, that, that's a problem. Yeah. So they're going to have to play them all on the same side. You're right, though. I mean, there's going to be teams with injuries. The Coyotes we just talked about do have an injury. They're not necessarily shopping for one right now. But if I was shopping for a defenseman, I'd look at the team that has way too many. They are – I don't know if Jamie's made this analogy or if I just imagine Jamie making this analogy. I think he's made it for something else. They're basically like the guy in your fantasy football league that drafted six quarterbacks, assuming he'd be able to trade four of them. And no, that's exa- I believe that's exactly what I said. Hmm. And then it didn't go down. Yeah, as planned. Yeah, hmm. it never does. Well, no, so. no, you know, I think I said what's the guy that dressed like Tom, that used to draft Tom Brady and Peyton Manning? Because oh no, I could totally trade one of them, and they can never trade yeah. one of them. <laughs> yeah. Incidentally, uh, interesting note that Cap Friendly put out of the thirty players who filed for salary arbitration, Nate Schmidt was the only one on which the arbiter ruled. Which is pretty bizarre. And we talked about this on a mm-hmm. previous podcast how none of these cases were going to arbitration. Nobody wants to go to arbitration because it's basically both sides airing their dirty laundry. I guess this is the uh, the product of that. 
How does that arbitration hearing go for a guy like Nate Schmidt, though? Like, here's a bunch of guys in your front office that have never really seen you play for them, and they're going to tell you why you don't deserve as much money as you're asking for. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good point. Welcome to Vegas, basically. Well, and then the interesting part of, you chose me. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, I mean, as if, if I'm Nate Schmidt, like, okay, well, you're, you're saying all these things, but you chose me over X number of players. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good bargaining chip to have in an arbitration. Isn't arbitration in Vegas, though, they just pull the lever on the slot machine, right, and whatever comes up is what you get? That may be it, I don't know. Or they're paying him in uh, keynote tickets. All right, before we get to Kevin Kurtz, last thing. John Tavares. You keep saying last thing. Last, last thing. Okay. Is he going to sign with the Islanders? And if not, does he want to travel west? I don't know. He keeps saying all the right things, but a lot of players say the right things. Pretty much all players say the right things, except for Matt Duchesne. Yeah. So, I don't know. This is this is getting interesting. You don't want to go into the final season, do you? If you're the Islanders, you don't want this. At, no. There, there comes a point where you, you can be a UFA and you're starting to look at that and say, hmm, what, what is my market? Now, Stamkos resigned right at the last minute. He stayed in Tampa. But they had an entirely different situation where they could give him a ton of money. It's a... The tax structure of that state is much more beneficial. It's a good team, but and also I don't yeah, it's think, a good team. yeah, and I also don't think the they conference were, final and the cup final. There also wasn't this underlying is Stamkos happy in Tampa Bay. It was more of wow, he could go home and make so much money that his that would just pour out of every orifice in his body. Right. So that's a different argument than saying is this person happy with the line mates he's playing with? Is this person happy in the market that he's in? It's a little bit different equation. Sure. Having money don't, don't think about it too much. Out of every orifice in your body. Is that a good thing? Is that a selling yeah, point? No, it sounds no? painful, but Okay. But with Tavares, there there's so many of those factors, right? The yeah. Islanders are not a good team. Well they're they're a decent team, they're I should fine. say they're not a good team. They're fine. They're fine. <laughs> they're fine. This is fine. They're, they're a decent they, team because they play of him. at Barkley Center, which has the worst ice in the NHL, where players openly talk about fear of getting injured when they yes. play in games. And by the way, there's like it's two thirds full at best on yeah. any night. A car they're, has the best seat in the house. Yes. That's not an yes. exaggeration. There's it that does. bus elevator, which I think we discussed, which is really weird. The bus elevator. It's, it's That's the most notable strange. part of the Barkley Center to me. Other than the fact that the arena feels 100 years old, and it's not. It's like two, isn't it? Two or three? <laughs> it's a very cold arena. It's a good, good not not temperature arena. wise. It's just a very cold, uh, dump kind of a cold uh, team. All right, we will now uh, turn this over to Kevin Kurtz. Talk about a team that went to the Stanley Cup two years ago, ran into Connor McDavid, and I guess maybe more fittingly Leon Drysaitel in the playoffs last year. All right, we continue our summer preview series now by looking at the San Jose Sharks with Kevin Kurtz, Sharks insider for NBC Sports California. Kevin, thanks for joining us. We'll just start with a big picture uh, question here. Are the Sharks still a contender? And, and if so, is it have they found a way to do it where they can sort of rebuild parts of their team while staying a contender this year and beyond? Yeah, you know, it's hard to say. Are, are they truly one of the top contenders in the league right now? Um, I, I would say probably not because you just look at the roster and they lost Patrick Marlowe, and that was a 27-goal scorer last year. So they're going to have to replace that. They really didn't add anybody. So... Um, it's hard to look at them and think that they're a better team than they were when the season ended last year. But um, you know, at the same time, I do think they made some nice off-season moves uh, just in keeping their own players around. Um, Mark Edward Blasik and Martin Jones are both huge parts of the team. So uh, you know, the fact that Doug Wilson extended both of those guys long-term, um, you know, for reasonable numbers, I think they were fair numbers. I think that those contracts came in where everyone really expects them to come in. Um, you know, that was a positive, I think, for the long term. But in the short term, um, I look at this team as a little 
devoid of offensive depth right now, and that's going to be the big issue, I think, when the season starts, is does this team have enough goal scoring up and down the lineup um, to be a contender? Uh, you mentioned the offseason moves. Let's, let's look at this, the biggest one in terms of the big name. They bring Joe Thornton back for another year. What's the thinking there? I, obviously, he's meant a whole lot to this franchise. $8 million a year, maybe that's okay on one, one year. What is your thought on that? What's the team's thought on that? Yeah, I think the $8 million is, you know, that was a little shocking, I think, when I saw that it was that high. But um, at the same time, I think it's a good deal from the Sharks' perspective because, you know, Joe ended up playing the end of the season with a torn MCL and ACL. <laughs> I don't think anybody still knows how the heck he did that. Um, but, you know, a one-year term certainly protects the Sharks a little bit in regards to, you know, is Joe going to be able to come back 100% from that knee injury? And everything I've heard from both sides, both from Thornton's side and the team side, is that he's going to be fully, uh, you know, ready to go. And um, I know the MCL was a whole lot more damaged than the ACL, which I think is, is good news from Thornton's perspective uh, because that, you know, the MCL does typically heal a lot faster than an ACL does. You know, a torn ACL might have been you know, career-ending, frankly, but... Um, from what I understand, it was the MCL that really took the brunt of the damage. So, um, you know, but Joe Thornton is still a huge part of the team, and I know his numbers were down a little bit last year. I really think the short summer and then playing in the World Cup and the condensed schedule really affected Joe in a negative way. Yeah. Um, he's never a guy to make excuses, but every time I would bring up the condensed schedule, you know, he would admit it was a grind. And um, I think that, you know, now that they had the long summer, as long as he's ready, you know, from that knee injury, and he's 100%. I actually think Joe Thornton's going to have a better year than he did last year. So he's still such a huge, huge, important part of this team on the ice, but off the ice, too. Um, I think he's kind of the emotional leader. Uh, I know he's not the captain anymore, but he's still really the heartbeat of the team, I think, in the dressing room and on the bench uh, yeah. as well. It, amazing to read those reports that's, uh, that characterize it as the knee was basically floating Amazing that yeah. I can play on that. Let's look at the other half of that equation, or the you know the two guys that have, have defined the Sharks for so long. How difficult was it to part ways with Patrick Marlowe? Well, I think it was difficult for the fan base. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of uh, fans really um, have seen Patrick Marlowe as the face of the team, and, and obviously that's no surprise when a guy spent 19 years with one organization. So I think there was a pretty good portion of the fan base that really wanted to keep Patrick Marlowe no matter what. But from a hockey perspective, I don't think the Sharks could have gone three years, and that's what they would have had to do in this case, obviously. He went to Toronto for a three-year deal, um, $6.25 or $6.25 million a year, I think it is. Um, but whatever it was, it, it was way more than the Sharks, I think, were willing to go, and, and rightfully so. You know, Patrick Marlowe, I know he scored 27 goals last year, but... Um, this team has been talking so long about some of these young guys coming up uh, and starting to take the veteran spots, and it hasn't happened yet, um, but there are some prospects in the system that I think are hopeful can fill Patrick Marlowe's 27 goals. and uh, Guys like Timo Meyer, Kevin LeBanc, um, Marcus Sorensen is a guy that's stuck around at the end of the year. These are guys that I think they expect to continue to improve and make the NHL team, but you know, again, going back to Marlowe, uh, a two-year deal is reportedly what the Sharks offered him, and um, you know, giving him that third year would have been tough because the team had to go out and extend Martin Jones, extend Mark, Mark Edward Blastic to those big deals. Um, Brent Burns, they had just signed to. Uh, Thomas Hurdle's another guy they're going to have to resign. Um, 
And also in that third year of the potential Milo deal, Joe Pavelski and Logan Scherr are both going to be up. So it just didn't make any sense for the Sharks to give Patrick Milo that third year. And, you know, that's why he's in Toronto. Kevin, you mentioned uh, Timo Meyer in there. Obviously a high pick, what, number nine overall in 2015. Didn't score a lot of goals last year in, in what, 34 games. But he was, he was generating chances. What are their expectations for him specifically this year? Well, I think they want him in the top, top nine, if not the top six. And uh, you look at Timo Meyer's year last year, uh, he got mono in training camp. And I think that set him back a little bit. I think he was ready to, to come into camp and compete for a job. But um, anybody who's had mono, uh, especially a 20-year-old kid, it can really knock you on your butt. And I think that's really what happened to Timo Meyer. He had trouble catching up. And he was dominant at the AHL level, but um, at the NHL level, he just, you know, he, there were flashes where we'd see him use that big body and use his physicality, and we'd also see him uh, get to the front of the net, get those dirty goals. Um, but you know, he didn't have the impact I think that the team had hoped. Uh, so you know, moving forward now, he's got uh, the whole summer to train. He's got a year of professional experience under his belt. He'll come to camp healthy, and I, I do think that that's really the one guy at the top of the list that they expect to come in and help. Um, make up the goals that they lost uh, by seeing Patrick Marley go to Toronto. Two other young guys that maybe factor into that mix as well. Tomas Hurdle, of course, did not play a full season last year either, and Yunus Donskoy. Just your thoughts on those two players and what they might be able, to, what their upside might be, I guess, in, in trying to replace some of that scoring. Yeah, Hurdle's the piece that we're going to have to keep an eye on in training camp. I feel like you say this every year is, is he going to be a center, the third line center, or is he better off playing the wing? Um, you know, perhaps even up on that Thornton line with Joe Pavelski, the top line. Um, and it's a, it's a debate, I think, that is unsettled right now. Um, I'm not sure he's ready to play center at the NHL level. I'm not sure he's ever going to be ready. He's had these knee problems. He's had some health issues. He's had you know, trouble staying healthy um, early on in his career. Um, in my opinion, he's better suited at the wing, but then that leaves a hole at the third-line center spot. So, um he did get hurt last year, uh, so that obviously affected his numbers. Um, we'll see how he comes back. We'll see how he looks. Um, he's got to keep that knee healthy. He's been injured twice already, actually three times, really, if you count uh, when he got hurt in the Stanley Cup final. So, um, you know, he's a guy that I'm still not sure that they've decided if they want him to be a center or if Pete DeBoer is going to choose to put him on that wing with Joe Thornton where he, you know, he doesn't have as much responsibility. Um, and you mentioned another guy. I'm sorry. Who was the second guy we're talking about? Don Skoy? Don Skoy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, he disappointing year for him last year, no question. Um, as a rookie, he was the team's best rookie of the year. They went to the Stanley Cup final. Um, scored that huge goal in the playoffs, uh, overtime in game three um, in the Stanley Cup final, making that series a 2-1 series, keeping the Sharks in it, in it at the time. But, um, you know, he was underwhelming last year. And he also dealt with a separated shoulder. It was actually separated twice. Um, so that affected him. But even before he got hurt, there really just wasn't a whole lot there. Um, he just didn't take that next step. So is he going to be able to take it uh, in this third year, or is he a guy that's going to potentially get knocked out of the lineup from one of these younger guys? That's, uh, that's something we'll have to monitor here. All right, Brent Burns, obviously a great player on the ice. Uh, very interesting to talk to off the ice. What's it like covering him on a daily basis? <laughs> covering, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um you know, he's, uh, it, it's, it's, how is it, boy, that's a good question. How is it covering Brent Burns? 
<laughs> I mean, he's definitely an interesting guy. Um, he's definitely a character in the dressing room. Uh, I think he tends to be more outgoing when he doesn't have a camera in his face or a, a microphone. <laughs> That's when you really see the real Brent Burns. Um, uh, a lot of times he doesn't really want to go into too much detail about the game itself, but if you want to talk to him about his charity work or about uh, the last time he went to the zoo, uh, <laughs> he can get him going for 20 or 30 minutes. Um, he's a guy, uh, you know, you can tell he reads the clips. He stays informed. He wants to know what people are saying about him. And I think, um, you know, maybe you see that a little bit more with some of these guys that, that are on Twitter. But, um, you know, Brent Burns obviously had a very good year last year. And uh, let's just say he's a lot more enjoyable to cover when he's playing well than <laughs> when he's struggling. Are, <laughs> like, you, are you taking fashion uh, tips from him? I am not. I couldn't pull off that. No way. <laughs> I don't think many hopefully of us not could. I'm not even yeah, sure he does, to be honest. <laughs> we, you mentioned uh, a couple of extensions for Vlasic and Jones. Let's start with Mark Edward Vlasic, who's always, in my opinion, been one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. What does he bring to the table for this club? Yeah, he's just that guy that doesn't, you know, isn't going to make headlines very often. But you know, really, you just have to look at how he's valued as Team Canada, going back to the Olympics in Sochi and the World Cup. He's always one of the first guys that fits me to that team. And the World Cup uh, hockey team, he was named to that team before Brent Burns was. So uh, that tells you right there how valuable he is, I think, in the eyes of you know some of the most important decision-makers in hockey. Um, and obviously with the Sharks, it's no different. He's the guy that's going to get that top, uh, tough assignment on a nearly nightly basis, especially at home when the Sharks have last change. Um, had a little bit of a down year last year, um, but I think he's a guy that, that can certainly uh, you know, play for a long time. And I, you know, it's no surprise at all the Sharks gave the contract that they did. Um, he's a guy that, that generally stays healthy, um, and he's just plays such a quiet and effective game. Um, he really has been, I think, as valuable a part of the Sharks' success over the last you know decade. Uh, as anybody in the dressing room. So, um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's a guy that the Sharks needed to keep around. There's no way they could have let him go to unrestricted free agency because he would have gotten a huge payday if it ever reached that point. Uh, Martin Jones now signed through the summer of 2024. Pretty nice deal, too. So I guess that says sort of the, the level of confidence the organization has in him. But but what do you think his, his ultimate upside is as a goalie? Yeah, I'm a big Martin Jones guy. I think this guy's great, and I think that was also another deal that needs to get done because you know he's still in his mid to late twenties here, entering the prime of his career. He's such a calm guy, such a calm demeanor. Um, works hard off the ice. He's durable. Keith um, DeBoer played him a ton last year, and even in that condensed schedule, he, he was uh, you know better more nights than not. And a lot of critics, I think, look look at his save percentage as maybe not being. Um, you know, as maybe just being an average mark, but when you watch this guy on a nightly basis, he makes so many key saves at key times, whether it's early in games, uh, you know, letting the team in front of them get their legs a little bit, or late games where they're preserving a lead. Um, I think this guy really is just the next franchise goaltender, and it's probably the first guy that can say that since Evgeny Nabokov. Um, and obviously the fact that he's looking to stay in like a final shows that he can win in the playoffs. And the Sharks' first-round loss to Edmonton was not at all on Martin Jones' shoulders. And I think you can make a case he was probably their best player in that series before they lost at 16. So, um, again, a deal the Sharks need to get done. They didn't, um, you know, they certainly wouldn't uh, want to see Martin Jones test free agent waters because just like Vlasic, 
I think he's a guy that could have gotten a huge payday, and um, you know they need to keep him around, and they did. All right, Kevin, last question before we let you go. And, of course, since we're in Arizona, we have to ask this question. Uh, what can the Sharks do about their Mikhail Bodker issue? Yeah, um, huge disappointment last year. Um, you know, it's really, you you learn everything you need to know about Mikhail Bodker's first season when you see he was a healthy scratch in two of the six playoff games mm. uh, in that first round loss to Edmonton. Um, just never fit in, uh, no matter where. They tried them all over the lineup, uh, on the top line, the Thornton line, uh, with Lloyd Couture. They, uh, they healthy scratched him a couple times. He was on the fourth line for, for a little while. Um, but just obviously didn't have the impact that they had hoped he would have. So uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, obviously it's hard to adjust to a new team after you've been with one organization for so long, like he was with the Coyotes there. But um, they're going to need more from him moving forward, no question about it. I, I think they would have loved to see Las Vegas take him, but um, you know, with three years left at, at uh, $4 million a year, that certainly wasn't a player that, that Vegas wanted coming off the year that he did. So um, I imagine he's here uh, next year. Um, so the Sharks are going to need more again. He's one of those guys that's going to have to step up and do a little bit more with Patrick Waller moving on. It's Kevin Kurz. You can find him on Twitter at KKURZNBCS. Kevin, this was great. Thanks for the time, and uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, all right? Okay, guys. Thanks for time. Thanks a lot. That's uh, it's Kevin Kurz talking Sharks there. I'll tell you what, one thing that stands out, the, the Patrick Marlowe, obviously they couldn't pay him what Toronto offered him. That wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. But he hasn't missed a game since the 2008-2009 season. So you start to look at the numbers he's putting up, and he had 27 goals last year. San Jose only had four guys score more than 11 goals. So it's not like you can just say, oh, Marlowe's gone, we're, you know, whatever, we're fine. He's going to be 38 this year, so I understand that there's some concern. But I almost wonder if that's not mitigated by the fact that he hasn't missed a game in like nine years. Yeah, what's interesting, when you look at the, the general feeling about Patrick Marlowe, and, and, and I was struck by what he said about the local feeling because he said the local fans would miss him. But when you look at Marlowe, I think a lot of people look at him as one of those guys who never managed to get it done. And yet you look at his numbers, he's been a pretty consistent producer and pretty he's good. in the lineup all the time. I mean, that same, that same criticism existed for Joe Thornton until last year when everybody fell in love with him. And, you know, he was just an incredible player. He, you know, the beard, the, the playoff performance, all of that. But Patrick Marlowe's always been a guy that has been viewed that way. But you're right. When you when you look at his numbers, when you look at his durability, it's incredible. He uh, what he played 1,493 games mm. prior to this upcoming season, and they've all been with the Sharks, obviously. So I know people look at the Sharks now and they're like, "Oh yeah, Joe Thornton, he's been there forever." Well, he has, but Patrick Marleau has been there much longer. Mm-hmm. And you start to look at the goals; he's over 500 with 508 now. Pretty consistent. There was a stretch there a few years ago where a, basically a four-year stretch where he was averaging more than 37 goals per season. So I think the biggest thing with losing him is if you just look at the surface, you're like, oh, they lost a guy that's turning 38. Like, yeah, he's a franchise icon, but, you know, they can replace him. 27 goals, there weren't a lot of guys on the Sharks scoring anywhere near that much. So they're going to need to get off. a lot of guys in the league scoring that much. That's true. And uh, – they are going to need something from guys like Bodker or Don Skoy. and probably get it from Hurdle, but there's uh, there's some work to be done in San Jose. Absolutely. Last thing, too, real quick. It was uh, interesting to hear him say Brent Burns is more open away from the camera. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, what is he doing? Is he hugging guys? Because there's no shortage of personality on camera. So at least we know he's not playing to the camera. It's not an act. If anything, he's toning it down a little bit. <laughs> he's the best because every time we see him at the award show, 
there's just a booth set up where he's talking. And so they'll set up the booths and then it'll be like, you know, 10 minutes and then the next wave of players comes out and then the next wave of players. He's there for all the waves. Right. He just takes residence in that corner booth and everybody just knows if you go talk to him about random things, you're going to be there for a while. <laughs> it's kind of like, like Shaq used to be that way where if you put the camera in front of him, a national camera, he kind of toned it down a little bit. But away from the camera, he was a little more, uh, more out there. All right. That's going to do it for us. This was episode 100, Craig. This is a, a touching moment. All right. For uh, Craig Morgan, Jamie Eisner is, is somewhere. He'll be back next episode as well. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.